Awesome. Everybody good? Happy? Do you like the person you're with? It's not too late to shift if you see someone better. You can, you're all happy. You've made good choices. All right, you can be seated. Well, thank you again to your pastors. You've got great pastors. Pastor Adam and Anita are wonderful people. I've really appreciated your hospitality. Thank you for having me. I felt very much at home. Very easy church in which to minister. And I will go home really, really pleased that I've spent this weekend with you. In fact, I'm tempted to miss my flight and just hang around Welling- hang around Wellington for a while. It would be good. You know, um, the Bible says that everything around us was created by God. And the Bible tells us how God did it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and by his spoken word, everything came into being. God spoke. He said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be trees, and there were trees. God said, let there be animals, and there were animals. God said, let there be Britney Spears, and all the angels said, no! God said, oops, I did it again. And so everything God made... He made by his spoken word until it came to humanity. When God made men and women, he varied his technique, demonstrating in his creative process the unique relationship we would have with God compared to everything else in the universe. When God created people, he didn't speak us into being, but he came intimately and physically involved. The Bible says God created out of the dust of the earth a human form, and then the first kiss in human history was not on a soap opera, but rather God himself pressed his lips, as it were, against those of the dusty outline, breathed his breath into it, and it became a living soul. The Bible says made in the image of God. That phrase we could park on for the next 12 months. What does it mean that you and I are made in the image of God? Because when you understand that you are made in God's image, it changes everything about your life. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see your future. It changes the way you see your neighbor. And it changes the way you understand what Jesus came to do. What does it mean that you and I are made in the image and likeness of God? I can imagine the angels watching God. And on day six, they became particularly curious because God just had an extra spring in his step. Don't get me wrong. God is always happy. But on day six, God looked particularly happy. He looked like a cat that had swallowed a budgie. He had a stupid grin on his face. And I can imagine the angels saying to him, God, we, we don't mean to be offensive. Don't, don't get us wrong. You, you're always in a good mood. But today you seem particularly chipper. Is there something going on that we should be aware of? God said, well, I, I'm kind of impressed that you noticed because as you are aware, I've been pretty busy. They said, I know the last five days has been hectic. You've been creating all this stuff. This universe is amazing. He said, I know it's all good. But today I did something very good. The angels are like, what did you do? He said, today I made people. And all the angels rocked back on their heels and went, whoa, people. Until one of the angels asked what all the others were thinking. What's a people? They'd never seen a people before. And so I imagine one of the angels was selected to go down to heaven and check out these people with whom God was so enamored. And I can imagine this angel watching and observing Adam and Eve and just being absolutely on the edge of his seat, as it were, and just intrigued before returning to heaven where the heavenly hosts were waiting with bated breath. These people that God is so enamored with, just describe them to us. What are they like? Have you ever tried to describe something to someone and you've got no idea about how to describe it because they're, they're completely unfamiliar with what it is you're trying to describe that they haven't a clue at all. So what you do is you employ a technique where you look for something that's similar or comparable to what you're trying to describe with which they are familiar. For instance, if you didn't know what a mandarin was, I would say, well, are you familiar with an orange? And immediately you've got an idea. If you didn't know what a BMW was, I'd say, well, a BMW is kind of like, um, are you familiar with an Audi? 
and so you've got a frame of reference. If you didn't know what a, a Hyundai was, I'd say, well, are you familiar with a twisted, rusted piece of crap? And, and straight away, you'd have a pretty good idea of what it is I'm trying to describe. And so I can imagine this angel saying to the other angels, well, well, well people that they're sort of like, well, well people are, are kind of like, well, you know God. Because the truth is, when the Bible says we're made in the image and likeness of God, what the Bible means is there's nothing in the universe more like God himself than you. When the angels look at you, the first thing they think is not, man, what a screw up. The first thing they think is, man, doesn't he remind you of someone? The first thing the angels think when they look at you is, man, doesn't she remind she familiar? When the Bible says we are made in the image and likeness of God, what the Bible means is there is nothing and no one in the universe more like God himself than you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. You're made in the image and likeness of God. God. And when you understand that simple truth, it changes everything. The first thing it changes is the way you see yourself. You start to realize you have intrinsic value. If you don't know what I mean by that, I don't blame you because we live in a world that measures everything according to externals. I went to Kerry Baptist Grammar School growing up a very exclusive, expensive school in Melbourne, the suburb of Kew, the same school that uh, Peter Costello, former Australian Federal Treasurer, went to, Graham Yallop, former Australia Test Cricket Captain, went to, Steve Vizard, late night TV show and commercial lawyer, went to. I was only able to go there because my dad was a Baptist minister and so I went there without having to pay any fees. Uh, my best friend was John Raftopoulos. He was an only child whose mum and dad had three motor vehicles, a Porsche 911, a late model Range Rover, and a golden Rolls Royce. My mum used to pick me up. I don't know if they ever had these in New Zealand, but a, a Holden Kingswood. And uh, I remember in grade four asking my mum if she could pick me up a block from the school gate. She said, why wouldn't you want me to pick you up at the gate? I said, well, mum, childhood obesity is such an issue. I just reckon that if I just walked a little bit, um, I could get rid of some of that tuck shop, relieve some of the burden on the federal health budget. And of course, it had nothing to do with my bulging physique and everything to do with the fact I was terrified that my friends would see the vehicle that I was collected in and immediately ascribe to me a low sense of worth because we measure everything in our generation according to externals. Do you remember, I don't know what you call it in New Zealand, but in Australia, they call it free dress day where you go to school, but you don't have to wear your uniform. Mufti day. Who would? <laughs> Next, you'll be calling thongs jandals and speed humps judder bars and, and pevlova your own. And, um, and, and so uh, the, we would call it free dress day. But, but it's, it's badly named because if you wear the wrong things on free dress day, you don't ruin a day, you ruin your life. You wear the wrong labelled sneakers or the wrong labelled jeans and people automatically ascribe a low value to you because we measure everything in this generation according to externals. But the Bible says I'm made in the image of God, which means my self-worth and my net worth are not the same thing. My value is not determined by my valuables. I am worthwhile and valuable because of the one whose image I reflect. A friend of mine was running a conference in Brisbane for young women who'd been badly abused. There were about a hundred who attended this conference. And I was told that the facilitator at one point asked for three volunteers to come up on stage. These were all women, you understand, who'd been terribly, viciously abused. And uh, they got these three women on stage and gave each of them a $100 note, uh, which in New Zealand is about $1,000. And um, <laughs> they, they said, what we want you to do is we want you to pretend that this $100 note is you growing up. 
And we want you to project onto that $100 bill the way that you yourself were treated. It was in a closed environment, so they agreed to do this. And for just a few seconds that they participated, the first woman, I'm told, started cussing and cursing the most horrible language at this $100 bill because that's how she was treated growing up. The, the next woman threw it on the ground and stomped on it, and the, the other one spat at it, and people are crying in the audience, even as these women are crying, because it's not a $100 bill, this is their life. At the end of what seemed like an eternity, the facilitator said, okay, you can stop, and they collected themselves, and the facilitator said, before you sit down, just one simple question, can you tell me if you were to take that $100 bill to any store in Brisbane, what would it be worth? Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it, that 100 bucks is 100 bucks. doesn't matter what you call it, doesn't matter how much you stomp on it or screw with it, doesn't matter how much you tear at it, 100 bucks is 100 bucks. And the point was well made, it doesn't matter who's walked all over you, it doesn't matter who's screwed with you, it doesn't matter what they've said with you, your value is not determined by what happens around about you, your value is not external, it's intrinsic, you're made in the image of God. And when you understand that, you can lose everything and yet you've lost nothing. I uh, read about a science experiment where they figured out that if we reduce your body to its most basic chemical compounds, they figured out that you are comprised of enough iron to make a small nail, enough sugar to fill a small bowl, enough fat to make seven bars of soap. Some of you could probably go eight or nine. Uh, enough potassium to shoot a toy can, enough phosphorus to make 2,200 match heads. Time magazine got a hold of this study and, and they factored in that on today's market, if we reduce you to your basic chemical compound, you're worth about $3.50. I thought, how amazing is God? Like for three bucks fifty. He gets someone who walks and talks, who laughs and cries, who schemes and dreams. You and I are worth about the same as a Big Mac, and yet we're capable of so much more. Here's the point. The more ordinary they try to make me, the greater the miracle I become. My value is not determined by my valuables. My self-worth is not my net worth. And when I understand this, I understand that I can live free. Because if I'm free, I have fear that if I lose everything or gain everything, it makes not a scrap of difference to who I am. We live in a world that measures everything to externals and so you're constantly trying to keep up to prove your worth and you can never, ever win. Think about it, ladies. There are three billion of you and six supermodels. You work out your odds. But when I learned for the first time, I'm made in the image and likeness of God. All of a sudden I realized I can lose everything and yet I've lost nothing. Because what I have or don't have, what they did or did not do to or for me, makes not a scrap of difference to who I am. And when you understand that, maybe for the first time in your life, you can lift your head high, walk with your back straight, and feel okay, regardless of what's going on around about you. When you understand you're made in the image of God, you understand that you have intrinsic value. But secondly, you understand that we are called to identify with higher things. Being made in the image of God doesn't just change the way you see yourself, it changes the way you see your future. We realize where to identify with higher things. In 1997, the Copenhagen Zoo announced with great fanfare a brand new exhibit for two weeks and for two weeks only on display in the zoo to live homo sapiens. That's right, a man and a woman at the zoo. You can pay money at the gate and go and see them. Amazing. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why would anyone pay money to look at people at a zoo? What's the point? Well, the point, Peter Van's... Van Hagenson, uh, the curator of the zoo, said, is to put the human beings in a glass enclosure right beside the chimpanzees to show how similar humans and chimpanzees are. After all, do you not realize that humans and chimps share 98.5% of the same chromosomes? That's actually true. 
human beings and, and chimpanzees share 98.5% of the same chromosomes. When I learned that, I thought, wow, what a difference the 1.5% makes. <laughs> and so for two weeks, whilst the chimpanzees swung from branches, sniffed each other's bottoms and scratched their armpits, the human beings listened to music, checked their stocks on the internet, planned an extension on their home, thought about an overseas holiday, wrote letters to their children. It was clear there was a massive difference between the humans and the chimpanzees. At the end of the two weeks, with just a few days to go, a reporter interviewing the couple said to them, so um, you've only got a couple of days to go, will you be uh, you know, having sex while you're in here? The woman sniffed at the reporter and said, of course not, what do you think we are? It was pretty clear what the Copenhagen Zoo think we are. We live in a world that identifies not with the God in whose image we are created, which leaves us with nothing more than the beasts in which to identify with. Uh, it was at, uh, Francis Bacon who said, if we are, we are akin to the beasts in our body, but if we be not akin to God in our spirit, we are wretched and miserable creatures indeed. And so you end up with someone like Scarlett Johansson, the sex symbol who understands so little of what she's supposed to symbolize, when she told a Lua magazine in 2008 that she doesn't believe in monogamous relationships. A monogamous relationship is where you're sexually faithful to one person for life. She said, I don't believe in it. They said, why don't you believe in it? She said, it's not natural. I mean, look at animals. They're not monogamous. I would suggest that when you're looking to your neighbor's dog for tips on your own sexual etiquette, <laughs> you've reached a low place indeed. But that's the world in which we live. The world in which we live, having discarded God and wiped him from the horizon, now is left with nothing more than the beast of the field with which to identify. But when you learn you're made in the image of God, you understand you're to identify with higher things. Have you ever wondered why we use cutlery? I have. Every time we wash up, I think, why do we use cutlery? Wouldn't it be easier to dispense with knives, forks and spoons and simply drop your head into the bowl and slip. It would be far more efficient after all. The Jewish culture has a theory as to why we use cutlery. They say that food is from the ground, from the earth. And of course, there's a dimension to ourselves that is from the earth. We began by saying that God created humans, first fashioning a human form out of the dust of the ground. At your funeral, someone will say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But of course, we are God-breathed dust. Winston Churchill once said, all men are worms. I just happen to believe I am a glowworm. And, and so our food comes from the ground, from the dirt. And you and I are from the dirt, but we are, we are God-breathed dirt. There's a spiritual a spark of divinity within us. It would be inappropriate to take my head, which represents the God dimension of my life, and lower it to the level of my food. So instead, I use a spoon or a fork, and I elevate that which is natural. And I, as I eat, I lift it up, so demonstrating the way I live every area of my life. That whatever I'm doing, whether I'm vacationing, whether I'm working, whether I'm doing domestic duties, I am a spiritual person and therefore everything I do, I invest spiritual significance into it and I elevate it. When you realize that you're made in the image of God, you realize that we're to identify with higher things. And so it doesn't matter what I do on Monday through Friday, I simply ask myself this question. If God were doing it, how would he do it? And then I do it how God would do it. And suddenly the ordinary and the mundane takes on spiritual and eternal significance. The world has always been changed by people who started to identify with higher things. There's a young man named William Wilberforce who was elected to the British Parliament in his early 20s. And he just spent uh, years as a playboy going from party to party until sharing a stagecoach with a guy called John Newton. Uh, you probably haven't heard of John Newton, but you know the song for which he's famous, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I went to buy the sheet music from a store in Australia only to find they've changed the words. 
because it's not good for one's self-esteem to sing of oneself as a wretch. Uh, but, of course, he called himself a wretch because he was. Uh, he was a murderer, a rapist, and a slave trader. He made his living shipping Africans to other parts of the Commonwealth in chains and selling them like cattle. One night at sea, caught in a vicious storm and fearing his life would be lost, he made one of those deals with God that we're all prone to make when we get in a tight spot. God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll do anything for you. Have you prayed those prayers? I have. I remember one Christmas Eve, I decided to start my shopping. And I went to the local <laughs> shopping center. And to my surprise, it was bedlam. There's cars everywhere. I'm thinking, man, I'm never going to get a Christmas present for my kids. I said, Lord, if you get me a car park, I promise I will do whatever you ask. And right at that moment, a space became available outside the very store I needed to go to. I lifted my hands to heaven and said, don't worry about it. I've found one. And um, <laughs> John Newton uh, was saved from the storm and true to his word, some years later, quit the slave trade and became a Church of England minister. He's sharing a stagecoach with William Wilberforce and he begins to share his faith and Wilberforce confesses faith in Jesus. The first prayer he ever prays, the most important prayer he can pray is Jesus, forgive me of my sin, come into my life. But the second prayer is also incredibly important. The second prayer he prayed, having prayed, Lord, forgive my sin, come into my life. The second prayer was, now I'm a Christian, what would you like me to do? In other words, if I'm made in the likeness of God, I ought to do things like God would do if he had my opportunities, my giftings, my talents, my personality, my disposition. If God lived in my community, if I'm made in the likeness of God, my life becomes significant if I do things like God would do if he were me. And God spoke to Wilberforce and said, I want you to reform manners and abolish slavery from the Commonwealth. And he gave the next 30 years of his life to the abolition of slavery. And slavery is uh, abolished as a legal institution in the Western world now because one man simply determined, I've got to identify with higher things. Having learned he was made in the image and likeness of God. You know, some people go to a job on Monday and they think, oh, I hate my job. There's nothing significant about it. It's just earning a dollar. But if you ask yourself, if, if God was scanning groceries... How would he do it? And then just scan groceries at the local store like God would do it if God were in your position and dealing with the people that come past your checkout. And, and the moment you start doing that, you find there's opportunities to minister and there's opportunities to invest. And all of a sudden, the ordinary and the mundane, you elevate it by saying, if I'm made in the likeness of God, I ought to study like God would study. I ought to live in my house like God would live in this family. I ought to go to work like God would go to work if he worked in that location. When you understand you're made in the image of God, it changes the way you see yourself, intrinsic value. It changes the way you see your future. You start to identify with higher things. Third, it changes the way you see other people. You start to give high value even to the lowest members of society. A uh, friend of mine, Rebecca Williams, um, young woman in her mid to late 20s at the time, I suppose, uh, was visiting Australia having come back uh, momentarily from Cambodia. And I said to her, what, what are you, why are you in Cambodia? She said, well, you know, I, life was pretty good in Australia. But I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus and, and I've, I've got no real commitments. And so if Jesus was in his mid-20s, um, you know, no financial problems, no liabilities, could pretty much go anywhere doing it, what would Jesus do? And, and I just figured if Jesus were me, he would go somewhere where there were people in dire need and help. Identify with higher things. And so she said, I packed up, I bought a ticket to Cambodia, and I just went there to help. And so she's involved in a whole lot of NGOs. And one of the things she's doing is she's um, fostering a couple of kids. And I said, wow, like a single young woman in your 20s, no parenting experience, but you foster a couple of kids. She said, yeah, she shows me photos of these beautiful Cambodian kids. And as she's showing me photos, you know, her, her eyes tear up, and she says, I just hope they don't die. I'm like, is your, is your cooking that bad? Um, 
And, and she explained it wasn't her cooking, but they were both HIV positive. And so now I'm in awe. Like, not only have you fostered a couple, of, but you fostered a couple of HIV positive kids. I mean, this is why would you do that? She said, "Well, in Cambodia, um, they have this theory, which is quite cool for young adults. It's, it's you know reincarnation, where we're born over and over again. It's such a cool kind of concept, especially if you're smoking something to help you with such a ridiculous thing. And um, but, but of course, in Cambodia, they actually believe this stuff, and, and so they believe that the life you're now living." is a judgment uh, for the life you previously lived. So if you're blessed in this life, it's because you did well in a previous life. But if you are doing it difficult in this life, it's punishment for something you deserved from your last life. So they just do the math. If you were born with the HIV virus, you must have been terrible in your previous life. Well, in Cambodia, conveniently, they have a previous generation who did some terrible things under the evil leadership of Pol Pot. They murdered and slaughtered about a third of the country. And so they just figure, if you were born with HIV, you must be being punished for being one of Pol Pot's henchmen in a previous life. See, young adults in the Western world, we believe in reincarnation where it's easy to enjoy the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. But in countries where they actually believe this stuff, they end up with kids dying on the side of the street and no one will lift a finger to help them because they, you deserve HIV. She said, I don't see kids that were bad in a previous life. I just see Jesus looking back at me. She said, my only upset is that I didn't foster more than the two that I've currently got. Well, I'm in awe of this girl. I mean, she's amazing. I want to tell everyone else in the hall, shut up and listen to this girl. She's incredible. Get the mayor to pin a medal on her chest. Have a ticker tape parade. Give her the microphone. Let her tell her story. She's amazing. And I thought, what a weird reaction from me. Because isn't she being a normal Christian? Why would I think, wow, you're incredible. Isn't that what Christians do? What, you sponsor kids? No kidding. Isn't that what every Christian does? When you believe that every person is made in the image of God, how could you not sponsor a child? How could you not give high value even to, especially to the lowest members of society? If every person is made in the image of God, it changes the way you see that neighbor who never returns your tennis balls. It changes the way you see that person in your place of education or in your workplace who irritates and ostracizes everybody else. And I would push them away myself, but I can't. Because if you dig beneath their annoying behavior, and maybe it's a long way down, but, but if you go deep enough, you'll find the image of God looking back at you. And therefore, I can't do what everyone else is doing and just push you away. I've got to give high value, even to those that no one else ascribes value to, because you're made in the image of God. You ever wondered why the Red Cross is called the Red Cross? And not like the Red Circle? Well, it's easy, because otherwise it'd just be Japan. But um, why is the Red Cross called the Red Cross and not the Red Octagon or the, the Red Triangle? or the uh, Henry Dunant, uh, a businessman, was traveling through modern-day Italy in 1857 when he witnessed a battle uh, during which thousands of men died from treatable injuries. The reason they died was no one was brave enough to go under the cover of fire to render medical assistance and so they died from things that they should never have died from and Denant, a Christian businessman, was horrified by this because these people are made in the image of God and valued to God and their value is proved that Jesus died on the cross for each one of them and so he returned to Geneva where he lobbied for the establishment of an organisation that would render medical assistance to people regardless of ethnicity, sexual orientation or colour and he formed the Red Cross for which he was awarded the first ever Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, the Red Cross is called the Red Cross because it was the cross 
of Christ that established for all time beyond question the value of every person having been created in the image and likeness of God, which is why when you go to the Middle East, they don't have the Red Cross. Or they have the Red Cross, but it's called the Crescent because sometimes the Muslims know better than we do the Christian origins of every great humanitarian organization on the planet. In fact, whether you look at the RSPCA or the union movement or pretty much uh, hospitals, universities, um, schooling and education, everywhere you see people helping people, you'll find someone who just understood that men are made in the image of God. And if people are made in the image and likeness of God, I've got to ascribe high value, even to, especially to the lowest members of society. We treat people in our community differently because we can look beyond their dysfunction to see the spark of divinity within them that they can't even see themselves. But we can't despise the image of God looking back to us. We've got to give high value even to those annoying people on the right of you this morning. When I understand I'm made in the image and likeness of God, I've got 38 of these things I want to... Let me give you one more thought. When you're made in the image of God, you understand not just that you have intrinsic value, not just that we're to identify with higher things, not just that we're to give high value even to the lowest members of society. You start to understand why Jesus came to do what he did. You know, so many people have this concept of Jesus as he's just trying to put you in a straitjacket and turn you into a, 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 a very boring, predictable person who has no life far from it jesus came to restore us to the image in which we were created so we could be our fullest selves i was reading a book by a guy called bill bryson he's a travel writer but he wrote a book called a short history of nearly everything i thought i'm going to read that and be smart i've read it five times and i'm hoping the sixth time will work um he's a complete atheist so a lot of what he says is about evolution and it's really um and some of you would be horrified i'm reading a book by an atheist that promotes evolution well, let me illustrate it this way. When I was small, I was not allowed to eat fish uh, because my mother was very concerned I would choke on the bones. Um, I'm pleased to report now at age 47, I'm allowed to eat fish. Um, I swallow the flesh, I just spit out the bones. As so I'm reading Bill Bryson and I'm spitting out a lot of it, but there's, there's some genius in there. And he makes this statement. This is an evolutionist. He says this. He says, it's an amazing thought that human beings might be at once the universe's supreme achievement and its worst nightmare. And I thought, that's so true. Human beings are so weird. We are the universe's supreme achievement and the universe's worst nightmare. I mean, we are capable of so much good. Our architecture, our music, our design, our creativity. I mean, we can take a jungle and turn it into a paradise. We are so amazing. And yet, at the same time, we can rape, pillage, murder, and destroy the environment. We are the universe's supreme achievement and its worst nightmare. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian theologian, described humanity as a glorious ruin. You know, um, from the same species, you get Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa. What's with that? But the schizophrenia is not just out there, it's in here. Because I find that I am the universe's supreme achievement and its worst nightmare. There are days I'm so good, even the Father thinks I'm Jesus. I can be so magnanimous and generous and kind and compassionate. Man, I can be so loving and that afternoon I can walk all over you, bitch about you, bite you to get what I want. It's like, what is going, there's this dichotomy within me where, where there's part of me that is so good and there's another part of me that is so bad and I know that to be true without ever darkening the door of a church. I didn't need the church to tell me I should be a better person. Every January 1st, I determined to be one. 
Because I know I should be a better person. My kids tell me every day. And I didn't need a church to tell me that no matter how hard I try, I can never quite make it because every January 1st, I determined to be a better man and every January 2nd, I determined to put it off for another 12 months. I know instinctively I'm meant to be more and I also know instinctively what the Bible calls the weight of sin that somehow always drags me down like the bias on a bowling ball always takes me in the wrong direction. And when I realized that, you know what, there's something in me that is meant to be more, but I can never quite make it, I realized why Jesus came. He didn't come to make me religious. He didn't come to put me in a moral straitjacket. He came to set me free from the weight of sin that drags me down and spoils what was intended to be magnificent. I didn't need a preacher to tell me I wasn't right with God. I knew that instinctively. What I needed was a preacher to tell me that it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done. God's got a magnificent plan. for He always had a magnificent plan for your life. And the moment you say yes to Jesus, He breaks the power of sin and sets you free to be who you instinctively know you're supposed to be. And when I learned that, suddenly my defenses went down because I realized Jesus wasn't trying to rob something from me. He was trying to get something to me. The power to be who I always knew I was supposed to be. Someone who reflected the majesty, the glory, the magnificence of heaven. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've you're made in the image and likeness of God. And when you understand that, you see yourself differently. You understand you've got intrinsic value. Some of us are so hard on ourselves because we look at our failures. We look at what other people have got compared to what we don't have and we immediately ascribe ourselves a low value and it's not your fault because that's what the culture does. But when you come to Christ, you stop taking your cues from popular culture and you realize the truth of the kingdom that says you can lose everything. And if you lose everything, you've lost nothing. You still reflect the glory of God. There's still a better day for you tomorrow. And for the first time in your life, you can be the most confident person in the room because you've got nothing to lose. Because even if I did lose it, I'm still me. And I'm not too bad. I'm made in the image of God. Man, for the first time, you just start to walk confident. There comes a peace in your heart. Some of you today need to be reminded of that. You're already a believer in Jesus, but you've given in to the lie of popular culture. And you've got to come back to the truth. I'm made in the, there is nothing in the universe more like God himself than me. Man, it's going to be okay. You start to identify with higher things. Some of us think, oh, man, it's all right for Pastor Adam and Anita. I mean, they get to do great things for God because they're pastors. But as for me, I just go to an ordinary job. And No, no, no. Everyone's in ministry. Because having been all created in the likeness of God, we're all called to do things like God would do if He were us. And so you don't have my personality. God bless you. We're all better off because you don't have my personality. You've got yours. You were made on purpose for a purpose. And so, so destiny is not something out there in the, the, the distant future. Destiny is simply answering this. If God were me, how would God behave? If God had my intelligence, my resource, my opportunity, if God had my disposition, if, if God was going where I go on Monday, how would God do it? And just do what you imagine God would do if He were in your shoes. And suddenly you'll find life starts to take on significance. And Pastor Adam's not the only person serving Jesus. Suddenly you're serving Jesus every day of your life as you elevate the ordinary to the level of the spiritual. You start to perceive other people differently. Those people that are annoying you, suddenly you have compassion for them. Not because you're a good person. Not because you're a better person. Simply because you saw something you'd never seen before. If you look carefully, you'll see the image of God looking back at you.
you know, maybe you've never put your life right with Jesus. You don't need a preacher to tell you when you're not right with God. You know that yourself. Maybe all you need is a preacher to tell you it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done. God loves you. I want to pray before I hand back to Pastor Adam. For every person in this room who says, James, I know I'm not right with God. I'm not asking if you've been to church before. You may well have been to church before. I'm not asking if you consider yourself to be a religious person. You may well consider yourself to be very spiritual. I'm asking, has there ever been a moment in time when you stopped and made a deliberate decision to say yes to Jesus? If you've never made your peace with heaven, why would you go home the same way you arrived? Why wouldn't you make a change? Don't waste a Sunday morning. Walk out of this place knowing that you know that you know I'm right with God. I've put things right in my heart. Everything changes from that moment. Why don't we close our eyes? We're going to pray. Here's how we're going to do it. Not right now, but in a second, I'm going to ask. If you say, James, I know I'm not right with God. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before. Perhaps you have said yes to Jesus, but you're away from God. You need to recommit your life. Whatever the case, in a second, not now, but in a second, I'm going to ask you. If you say, James, I know I'm not right with God, but I want to be. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up high. I'll see it, acknowledge you, then you can put it down. Here's why. I just want to know who I'm including in this prayer. There's a whole crowd of people here this morning, but you matter to God as an individual. And I really don't want to pray for a bunch this morning. I just want to know specifically, who am I including in this prayer? It might be one person, it might be a dozen. But listen, if you're not right with God, don't walk out of here the same way you arrive. Say yes to Jesus. As if you'd say no to love and hope and peace and forgiveness and a future. Just say yes. As if you'd say later to God. Just say yes to Jesus. And the moment you say yes to Jesus, everything changes. So while every eye is closed, if that's you, James, I know I'm not right with God, but I really want to. Would you include me in this prayer? I'll see your hand, acknowledge you, then you can put it down, then right where you're seated, we're going to pray together. But I want to know, who am I including in this prayer? So if that's you, real quick right now, let me see your hand real quick. Then we're going to pray. God loves you. Over here, God bless you, sir. You can put your hand down someone else. Over there, God bless you. I'd love to pray for you. People just getting right with Jesus. You've never said yes to Jesus before, or you have, but you're away from God. Whatever the case, this morning you're making a decision. I'm going to get my life right with God, walk out of here different. Last opportunity, then we're going to pray. Is there one more person before we close? James, include me in this prayer. I don't want to miss out. Come on, let's all stand to our feet. We're going to pray out loud together. I want you to pray this prayer. If you lifted your hand, a couple of people, I want you to pray out loud with me. We'll all pray together. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Just look this way. Let me... Let me debunk this for you because becoming a Christian is not subscribing to a list of doctrinal beliefs, though doctrine is important. It's it's not getting on the straight and narrow because none of us have the power to do that. The Holy Spirit will help you though. But here's what becoming a Christian is. Becoming a Christian is simply acknowledging that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, guess who's not? You. Hashtag awkward. Because most of us have been carrying on like we are. And that's always been the problem. We've always thought that we are the center of the universe. No wonder everything's out of alignment and running rough. But the moment you put Jesus in his rightful place, it's like when you get the wheels on your car aligned and suddenly, oh, I always knew it was meant to run better than this. And maybe for the first time in your life, things start going right because you get your life in right order. Becoming a Christian is simply admitting, Jesus, you're God, I'm not. Sorry for acting like I was. I'm going to stop doing it. I don't know if I can stop doing it. You're going to have to help me to stop do that. I'm so practiced at making myself the center of everything. I don't need your grace to stop it. But by your grace, I'm going to start to follow you. The Bible calls it being born all over again. Everything changes. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, 
Thank you so much for loving me. I know you love me. You proved it when you died on the cross for my sin. Forgive me for everything I've done wrong. Wash my heart clean. From this day on, I put my faith and trust, not in myself, but in you. I'm going to follow you. Help me, I pray. Amen. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer in faith, I pray let today be a turning point in that. May they never be the same again. Lord, for every other person in this auditorium, I pray this week, we would never forget who we are. Lord, I pray we would be reminded daily that we reflect your glory, your goodness, your image. We're made in your likeness to do things like you would do if you were us. And as we live in the reality of that, I pray that we would be part of the answer and solution in our world. Having been part of the problem, but having received your grace, Lord, may we now be part of your answer to our community. Lord, let the world be better because we lived our lives in light of who you are and therefore who we are. I ask your blessing upon every person in Jesus' name. Amen.